Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we continue our series today, Empowered Living, Volume 3, with a message titled, Family Life. So let's turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. I remember the birth of our first child, Rachel, and as with every firstborn in every family, she was the one that introduced Kathy and I to caring for a family. I remember holding her in my arms for the very first time, standing in the middle of the hospital delivery room. She'd been wrapped into a tight bundle by one of the nurses, and eventually I got to hold her. I was so careful not to drop her. She was so light, so fragile, so helpless. I looked at her as that amazing gift of life, that beautiful little girl. And prior to that, I had always thought all babies look pretty much the same. But when I looked at her, I knew I would never forget her face. Indeed, I could have picked her out in a crowd of a thousand babies. I instantly bonded and I realized that she was my flesh and blood and thought how easy it would be to lay down my life for her. See, that moment seems like only yesterday. Today, all three of our children are adults with kids of their own, and I, like Tevya, the Jewish father in the film Fiddler on the Roof, want to sing, I don't remember growing older. What happened in those few years is the story of our family. You know, God has blessed Kathy and I with three kids who love us and love the Lord, and I think Kathy and I are filthy rich with these amazing gifts from God. But the realization that we have so little time to raise our children gives us motivation to make the most of it. If you're a parent with young children in your home, let me say that you have little time to raise your kids. Therefore, the advice of Scripture is paramount. You don't want to do this wrong. It seems there's so little time to correct your mistakes. So I want to speak to parents. But before you think I'm addressing this message only to parents, think again. This message is to anyone that's in a family. It's to parents, but this message is also to children, and that's meant for all of us. We're all somebody's kids. I want to say that families can be both a nightmare or they can be wonderful. I've been a pastor long enough to see both kinds. I did a wedding some time ago where the bride told me that in all their growing up years, she had never shared a family meal together. All of her life was simply scrounging food out of the fridge and then eating it in front of the TV. Needless to say, her family was a disaster. Her mom and dad fought constantly, and she was just glad to get her food and retreat to another part of the house. Yeah, families can be an inconvenience and a nightmare and a bad memory, but families can also be wonderful. I've attended 50-year anniversaries where families have shared together the preciousness of family life. Children and parents tell their stories, and it becomes clear that everything they are and love was first nurtured in their home. Families really can be wonderful, and we have so little time. We need to make the most of the precious time we have. Let's read Ephesians 6, 1-4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, those four verses, even though they're short, are a master plan for the family. Notice also the two parts of this passage. The first is addressed to children, and then the second to parents. So let's start with the children. And here at the very first, we need to notice something that's not seen in our English Bible. The Greek language had two different words for children. 
One is the word paideia, and it often refers to young children. And we would expect this word to be found here. Children, while you're young and under your parents' roof, obey your parents. But surprisingly, that's not the word Paul uses. The Greek word Paul employs is the word tekna, which is a reference to the offspring of parents without any indication of how old they are. You know, we are aware of that distinction in the English language, but we don't actually have two different words for it. You see, sometimes when we talk of children, we mean human beings before they reach the age of adulthood, or in our culture, maybe before they become adolescents. That's paideia. But as any adult my age is going to tell you, your children are your children, even when they're 40 years of age and more. That's techna. And Paul uses the term techna. So does he mean even if you're 40, you still have to obey your parents? You see, because Paul seems to say children of every age obey your parents, there are parents out there who demand obedience of their kids at every age. See, I've known of parents telling their married kids, you're still under our authority, and so you still have to obey our commands. Now listen up, and listen good. This is definitely not what this passage says, and I'll prove it to you. Genesis 2.24, speaking of the institution of marriage, says, A man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That is, both husband and the wife are no longer under the authority of their parents. Rather, they've left that authority structure, and they've formed a new one. And if you're still not convinced, then listen to Jesus on that one. See, he says the same thing is found in both Matthew 19.5 and in Mark 10.7. This is a rule from God. So if you're a mom and dad of married kids, you have no authority over your kids at all, none. And if you're trying to have that kind of authority, you just need to back off. You're disobeying Jesus. So let's get back to what Paul is saying, children or techna, obey your parents. Why didn't he say paideia, little kids, obey your parents? Why did he say techna? Well, the answer, I think, has everything to do with why Paul expects young children to obey their parents. See, they are the offspring of their parents. That is, since God has given the children as his gift to the parents, he's done so with the understanding that the parents are expected to disciple the children in ways of God. And by the way, that also then applies to adopted children. In their case, God has also given those children to their parents. The same rule applies to them. And by virtue of the fact that these are your parents— You should know that your task is obedience to their authority. Now then, having established that this is God's authority structure, let's give three reasons why that's so. Look at verse 1. It says, because it is right. The older Bible teachers used to call this natural law. They meant there are some things that all people know by nature. You don't even have to teach them the Bible to know it. God has, in the creation of children, wired it into their hardware. That means that God has wired you in such a way that if you disobey your parents, you're going to feel guilt. And that guilt was placed into your heart by God. It's called your conscience. God created you when you're young to feel good when you obey your parents and to feel bad when you don't. Every child begins life by feeling those things by nature. The only way to stop feeling guilty about disobeying your parents is if you purposely rewire your insides. And you can do that. There are lots of ways to do that. Sometimes parents rewire their own children. 
We'll talk about that in a while, but sometimes children do that by disobeying mom and dad and then by trying to stamp out their conscience. But that's not how they were created. So why should you obey mom and dad when you're young? Because at your birth, God has written something very basic into your heart. You're meant to feel guilty when you disobey your parents, and that's imprinted into your nature. It's right. Second, look at verse 2. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. You'll notice several things about this passage. First, this is the fifth of the Ten Commandments. And furthermore, the Ten Commandments are on two tables of the law. The first four commandments are about our relationship to God, and the second six are about our relationship to our fellow man. So the first command in the second table of the law, that is, our relationship to our fellow man, is that we honor father and mother. After that, we get the command against murder, then against adultery, then theft, bearing false witness against someone else, and finally against covetousness or envy of that which belongs to someone else. And so it is our relationship with our parents that starts us off. Rebel against parents when you're young, and you're going to find yourself rebelling against all of God's commands. But here's a little twist. The ancient rabbis of Christ's day insisted that the fifth command is also about loving God. That is, they thought that the command to obey parents should actually be included in the first table of the law and not in the second. Now, why would they think that? Well, it's because in Jewish culture, it was the parents, it was the mom and dad who were given the charge to teach children about God. Your first lessons about God came from them. And if you didn't obey them, you wouldn't learn to love God. See, I've seen Jewish fathers in Jerusalem standing before the Western Wall with a copy of the Torah in hand, reading to their sons, asking them questions, hearing the answers, and then correcting any theological errors or giving further explanation. See, that's a lesson of what Christian parents should be doing with their kids. Christian parents should use their God-given authority to catechize their children in the faith, teach them Christian doctrine. This month, don't forget to ask for the Time of Your Life five-message Bible teaching series as our free Bible resource on CD. As you listen along and examine what the Bible has to say about how we use the time you've been given, you'll be equipped and encouraged to make your days matter for eternity. When you request your copy of the Time of Your Life, would you pray for more and more people to access these life-transforming riches in the pages of the Bible? Every day this teaching, verse by verse, reaches out across Canada and around the world on radio and print and online so that all might receive and experience a life filled with purpose. Back to the Bible Canada is so grateful for your support. To order the time of your life or make a gift to support this ministry, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. So why should we obey mom and dad when we're young? Well, because God has written these instructions in our heart and God has written these instructions in his law. 
You want an example of that? It's found in Jesus. Luke 2.51 says, And he went down with them to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Yeah, even the Son of God submitted to his earthly mom and dad. Now, there is a third reason to submit to mom and dad. Our passage says that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. I know someone's going to say, well, wait a minute. Jesus submitted to mom and dad and then was crucified while he was still in his 30s. He didn't live long in the land now, did he? So let's be clear. Just because you obey and honor your parents doesn't assume that you're going to live long. But this passage teaches us a principle. That is, in principle, those who obey parents tend to live long and productive lives. And why is that? Because obedience to parents is connected to something we call social stability. See, chances are the first person who ever said no to you were mom and dad. See, if you learn to obey them, you'll learn one of the most valuable things any human being can learn. It's called self-control. That is, you'll be able to control yourself. And that also means that you'll be able to do what you set out to do. You can accomplish what you want in life. Your life will be full of successes because you will know how to resist the dark urges that lead to destruction. And when you're very little, you may walk by a candy counter in the store and feel like you want to take a chocolate bar and eat it right there. And your mom says no. You don't have any self-control then, so you say, but I must have it, but she won't hear of it, and she's in control of you even though you're not in control of you. And if she's a good mom, she's got all sorts of ways to teach you to control yourself. She's got lessons for you to learn. And when you get older, you'll need this skill of self-control every single day. You'll need it in school, when you study, when the sun is shining and everyone else is out playing ball. You need it to get up in the morning even though you don't feel like it. You'll need it in university. You'll need it again when you prepare for a career. You'll need it at work. You'll need it when you get married if you want to stay married. And you'll need to have it to maintain good friendships. You'll need it to stay out of fights and away from the wrong friends. Now listen to me, kids. Every single criminal in this entire country lacks self-control. God has charged your parents with the task of giving you self-control. He wants you to learn to obey them. And if you accept their demand for obedience, you do well. So why should you obey mom and dad? Well, because God has written those instructions in your heart. He's written them in his law. And because God promises to bless you in life if you do. Now, here's the key. The command to obey is limited to the time you live under your parents' roof. But the command to honor is for the rest of your life. We're called to obey our parents while they are responsible for us. And if you're living under your parents' roof, yeah, you obey them. Once you leave, the command no longer applies. But you're called to honor your parents always. If you have bitterness and hatred or unforgiveness in your heart towards your parents, you can't succeed. See, the three reasons why you should obey your parents when you are young are also the three reasons why you should honor them as long as you live. So let's move on. I said that there are two parts of this passage. The first is for kids and the second is for parents. So here's God's wisdom for parents. Look again at verse four. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now in the ancient Roman world, a father had all the power in a home. He could sell his children into slavery. And there are examples of fathers making their children work in the fields in chains. 
Fathers were even allowed to inflict the death penalty on their children. I mean, thankfully, times have changed, but the principle expressed here is rightly applied to fathers and mothers. So dads and moms, God wants you to treat your children fairly. God has given you authority over your children, but he demands that you not misuse your authority by making harsh, unfair, and unreasonable demands upon your kids. God will hold you accountable for the way you treat your children. See, all over the world, there are children who have been embittered by their parents. They were constantly criticized and never loved. Some were never complimented. Some were mercilessly beaten and abused. Some lived in a situation of constant injustice. And because children are in many ways powerless against their parents, they simply buried their anger deep down, and then they became angry people. So how can we stop from provoking our children to anger? I think there are at least six things that we must avoid. First, don't make unreasonable demands on your children. You see, God, not you, created your children. And he created your children with gifts and abilities which he has uniquely placed into them. Your task is to cooperate with what God has done. So if your child's a B student in school and your child is doing the best he or she can, you're being unreasonable by demanding A's. You should demand that your child do his or her best, not demand a certain grade in school. And if your son's not the next Albert Einstein, you're being unreasonable when you place your expectations on them. In fact, one of the harshest things our children will ever bear are the unreasonable expectations of their parents. I've seen parents demand that their children be doctors or scientists when they've been equipped by God to be a carpenter or a plumber. And you might say, listen, our family doesn't have carpenters. We have lawyers. So listen to me. Jesus was a carpenter. We should demand our children be the best they can be. We should demand our children not be lazy. But we must not demand that our children meet our unrealistic and self-centered, ego-driven expectations. Number two, we must not be harsh or cruel to our children. Number three, we must not humiliate our children. Number four, we must not show favoritism for one child above the other. Five, we must not demand unrealistic levels of maturity of our children. Every once in a while, someone will say to a child, stop acting so childishly. See, we must understand what our children are capable of at their age, not push them beyond that. Our children need time to simply be children. And six, we must be consistent in what we demand of them. There are a number of ways to exasperate our children. Behind this is the idea that our task is to help them be all that Christ wants them to be, not to make them angry. God wants you to treat your children fairly. God wants you to nurture your children. The phrase, bring them up, comes from one Greek word which means literally to feed them or to nourish them. The same word was used in Ephesians 5.29 where Paul says, no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes it. See, every good parent knows that you have to feed your child and provide them with a healthy nutrition. You know, teach them they can't live on junk food. But the kind of feeding of your children that Paul here envisions is of a different kind. He wants us to feed our children morally and spiritually. He wants us to prepare them for a successful life here and an eternal life in the world to come. He wants them, like us, to be blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. 
and they need to be trained to be nourished, to be raised. It takes a lot of work to take a child who clenches his little fist and screams and throws his peas onto the floor into a gentle man of God who knows how to love God and his neighbor as himself. And in order to do that, you'll have to subdue your child's self-will. But here's where our children might become bitter. I have four rules that apply to spanking. Number one, your child is still relatively young. Don't spank an older child. Number two, that you never spank your children in anger. The Bible speaks of loving discipline. Number three, you've never spanked your children excessively. That's abuse. Number four, that you only spank your children for willful disobedience, not for foolishness or childishness or things that irritate you. Parents, it is not your job to give your kids what they want. They'll want everything and more. It's your job to give your kids what they need. Your kids need to grow to become both productive and godly. God wants you to nourish your kids. And above all, nourishing your children means to teach them the Word of God. There are a great many very godly resources that can help you. Your local church can help you as well. Utilize every resource that's available to you. Get involved in a church that has a great kids' ministry and pray as Kathy and I did. You know, Kathy and I would constantly pray, Lord, we're not raising these kids for the devil. We're raising them up for you. Help us, Lord. And then God, in his wonderful mercy, allowed us to see our kids grow up into godly kids. Well, that was a miracle from God, but it is what God has for local families. So let's remember, parents, raise your children right, and kids, obey mom and dad. Thanks for a great message, John. Now, this has never happened to me, but let me ask you this question. How do you think parents should respond when their married kids do something they just don't agree with? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you see, you know, the the natural response is to say, let's correct them right away. Now, I'm going to tell you something I learned from my father-in-law. I mean, I would sometimes say to him, you know, Dad, what do you think I should do? And I I tell him something. And and he never answered my question. What he did is he handed me one question after another, and he said, have you considered? And then he'd say, "Uh, what do you think about? And so forth. And uh, I came to recognize what he was actually doing is he's saying, I'm going to respect you as an adult, but I'm going to, because of my experience, ask you questions that I know that you need to be asking yourself. So somewhere we need to learn from that. Uh, We need to recognize that our children being grown still need parents and they'll still need wisdom, but they won't need commands anymore. And so we're going to have to refrain from giving all the commands and giving wisdom instead. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Empowered Living, Volume 3, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. The days we have are precious, and how we use our days matter. Dr. John helps us to consider how we spend our time in ways that matter for eternity in his series, The Time of Your Life. Why is time so important? Well, it's a scarce commodity. It's uncertain how many days we have. Time can never be recovered, and our use of time can introduce either light 
or darkness. Paul's exhortation to the church in Ephesus is so true for us today. We should be a church longing to live as those who are wise, making the very best use of our time. This is a high calling, but a worthy calling. This month, request Dr. Newfeld's series, The Time of Your Life, on CD as our free gift to you. And to support Bible teaching with a financial gift, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.